right, so the book of James was written by James. And we're gonna take notes, so I encourage you to be a note taker. If you have a Bible, a physical, I wanna encourage you to bring it at all of our campuses because when you bring the Bible, there's something about that physical experience. I love digital, but get yourself an old school Bible without notifications. There's something about that new school Bible where your ex-boyfriend will start texting you right when you're trying to read the Bible, never even heard from the dude for 14 years, and then right when you go to read the Bible, he's like, what's up, sugar? You're like, what in the world? It's actually the demon inside of your ex that was like, go ahead and here's your little assignment. You know, or you haven't talked to that girl in years and years, and then you're in James chapter one. She's like, hey, boo, what have you been doing? You're like, I thought I blocked you. Oh, I made a new account because I just, some of y'all know. So you, you got to get a Bible without notifications and it's, it's printed on paper. So do that. Okay, let's talk about James. Now, James was the apostle over the church in Jerusalem. And so at 2,000 years ago, the church is getting started and the leader, the apostolic leader over this massively growing church in Jerusalem is James. And we're gonna go scripture through scripture, line by line, and I'm gonna break this down for you. But can I just start by saying, the church has always had problems because the church has always had people. So for all of y'all who think that there is some era in history where the church didn't have problems, think again. And for those of you watching and creeping online with your monitoring spirit right now, you don't attend anything, but you creep on everything. Can I just tell you, if you're like, I'm not going to go to church because there's hypocrites. There's hypocrites at Starbucks. There's hypocrites at Target. There's hypocrites at your job. There's hypocrites at school. Matter of fact, in case nobody's told you recently, you're a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites. We're all struggling through this thing. And so there was never a time when the church was perfect. Matter of fact, you want me to tell you a secret? The only reason why we have a Bible is because apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write letters to struggling churches. And so that's what we're reading. So James had to write a letter to the church in Jerusalem to set some stuff straight. So if you don't come to church because there's hypocrites there, well, I guess you're, uh, it's going to be hard for you living in your own home because your house is full of hypocrites if you live there. Was I mean enough to get that point across? Oh, I don't go to church. There's hypocrites over there. Well, you are one. So welcome to the club. Come and join all the other hypocrites. The only difference between church people and non-church people is we're going on a journey to not be hypocrites anymore. Well, I'm doing something about it. What are you doing? Isn't that the point of church? So James is writing this book to bring things into alignment, and it was growing. Here's another thing I want to say, because I'm just straight up assassinating some bad mentalities today, sniping them right now. Do not romanticize small church as if the smaller the church, the more holy it is, or the smaller the church, the more they equip and train. Can I tell you, if the church is small, it means, because, it means hell is overpopulated. 
Like, matter of fact, the, the church, as long as, if there's 10 million people in New York City and there's not 10 million people in the local churches, that means none of our churches are big enough. Because that, we, gotta, we have to plunder hell and populate heaven. And so we never romanticize, well, V1 church is getting too big. Homie, if there's one person on this block that doesn't know Jesus, our church is not big enough. We are not gonna romanticize small as if small is holier or small is better. That is actually a problem because healthy things grow. The church in Jerusalem grew so much that they had to administrate the growth. You don't stop it, you administrate it. Matter of fact, here in New York City, if you go to a restaurant and no one else is there, don't eat that food. Don't eat that food. If, you're on, if, you're, if you go to get jump on the M train and nobody's in that train car, don't go in that train car. You hear all the people in Indiana like, what are you talking about? Somebody peed in that train car <laughs> or blood or both, feces. You don't know what bodily fluid's in there, but you know you don't go in there. So listen, I, if, if everybody's swearing a restaurant's so good, but nobody's eating there, it must not be that good. But when we got lines out of every single V1 church campus, it's because we are serving the bread of life and people are coming back to life. Their marriages are being restored. Demons are being cast out. Physical illnesses are being healed and we're wreaking havoc on the enemy's kingdom. And so guess what? Healthy things grow. So I just, I wanted to start the book of James by that. The only reason why we are even Christians is because the church grew so big, it grew out of Jerusalem. So please do not romanticize small church as if it's better. Because I, I think, honestly, God is displeased when we don't disciple people and multiply disciples to the point. People are like, well, aren't you trying to church, uh, plant churches everywhere? No, we're not trying to plant churches. We're trying to make disciples. And, the, and when you make disciples like we do, you have to plant churches. Like we don't, I, listen, we don't want to move into a new venue, but look at, we had a packed out 9 a.m. and now a packed out. It looks like we have to find a new venue. I kind of liked it here. We got the LED wall installed. I got my green room in the back, you know, with Julie, my personal masseuse. So it's all good. <laughs> she just yelled, yeah, right. And so what we do is we make disciples that make disciples. We don't make an audience. We make an army. See, celebrities have audiences, but generals have armies. And I'm leading us to take territory and do what God called us to do. And that's what James was doing. James was building an army and he was saying, we've got to take territory. We have to lead more to Christ. This thing has to grow, but it has problems. So let me write a letter to bring those problems into alignment. So that's your setup, okay? Now I'm going to read you verse one and it's going to reveal so much about James. James it says, I, James, am a slave of God and the master Jesus writing to the 12 tribes scattered to kingdom come. Hello. That's his greeting. Can I tell you something about James that you wouldn't know based on his own writing? James is the stepbrother of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, if I was Jesus' stepbrother, how much I would be flexing that relationship. Come on, let's keep it 100. If Jesus was your stepbrother and you had the same mom, you'd be like, I'm not paying for nothing in life anymore. You know who my brother is? My brother is Jesus. 
But James doesn't even mention the fact that he shared a mother, Mary. And so here's what's crazier. When you think about it, when you would look at James, you would see a genetic resemblance to Jesus. And Jesus died, was buried. On the third day, he rose again. But it was probably crazy to see the apostle James because it would remind them of Jesus even in his physical appearance. Isn't that crazy to think about? but he operates in such a level of humility that he doesn't even mention the fact for credibility that he is Jesus' brother. Matter of fact, what does he say? I, James, am slave of God and the master Jesus. He calls his own brother master. What a level of humility. Jesus himself said a prophet in his hometown is without honor. Sometimes the people closest to you are the least likely to acknowledge what God could do through you. Isn't it a blessing when your own brother calls you master? Because they say, hey, in some areas I have to learn. So here's the thing. What I love about V1 Church is we are able to acknowledge what God can do through somebody else. I got no problem submitting to somebody's teaching. I got no problem honoring honoring them as a prophet, honoring them as a pastor, honoring them as a teacher, because when I honor them as the thing God called them to be, I'm honoring the God that called them. So James starts off. Now, let me, can I go deep today? So we're only in the first scripture, but look how much you can extract from it. He says, I, James, am slave of God and the master of Jesus. What if I told you that many of you have a revelation of what it means to be a son or daughter of the king, but you've never gotten a revelation of what it means to be a slave. Oh, it got real quiet. Nobody started clapping. Nobody, no, okay, one person. That, now, let me explain that. In our generation, we thought if we told the world, come on in, you're an orphan. You never knew what it meant to have a father. You could have a father. That's good, and we should say that. But you should advance beyond God as father to God as master. Matter of fact, if you only know him as father and don't know him as master, it probably reveals there are some areas you have not been obedient in yet. Oh, this is good preaching. This is like, you might not like broccoli, but just trust me, broccoli will help your waistline. There's some of you spiritually, I'm trying to help your waistline with this teaching right now. It's some lean teaching today because we need to know him as master, not just as father. I got two daughters and let me just tell you, they work, man. You're talking about manipulators. Sometimes the dishes need to be done. And I'm like, Bella, go in there and get those dishes done. And she looks at me, Dad, I'm so tired, Dad. And she's looking at me. And you know, I see myself without a beard and with hair. You know, both my girls, they look like me. And then she starts, and I say, and she goes, Dad, I'm tired. And I say, okay, just go on up to bed. And then Julie, Julie comes. She's like, why are the dishes there? What? I said, Julie, they look just like me. They were, I got, what am I supposed to do? They're tired. See, the thing is, when you know God as father, you'll try to change his mind. But when you know God as master, you'll say, God, you change my mind. <laughs> Y'all, are you hearing me? It's okay to preach back to me, Methodists. So <laughs> we got the Catholic crowd today. <laughs> 
So, so you understand that like when you only know, and some of you are like, but he's so loving, but you've used his love to sanction your sin as if he's going to keep letting you do it over and over again. He's also a master. And he, and I think there's something about James who was the genetic brother of Jesus that when he called himself a slave, good leaders are modeling behaviors. And he's saying, Hey, for some of you, you got a revelation of him as dad, but you need to start being radically obedient and you need to begin to understand him as master. Why? Because when, it, when he tells you in that gentle whisper, hey, I need you to go tell your coworker about Jesus. See, the thing is, if he's your dad, you're trying to get out of it like you tried to get out of doing the dishes. But when he's your master, you say, oh, I don't want to embarrass myself, but not my will but your will be done. You're, I'm a slave. I don't have an option. He told me go into all the world to seek and save the lost. I don't want to do it. I don't want to embarrass myself, but I have to because I don't just have a dad. I have a master. And I think that's what's wrong with Christianity. Why do pastors keep falling into sin? Because they don't know him as master. They're bad slaves. I want to be a good slave. I know this is scandalous. I know you're not, you're flipping through YouTube. You're going to go, your itching ears are going to go find yourself a prophet to tell you whatever you want to hear, but this is what you need to hear. You need to know him as master in 2024 because when you get a revelation of master and it produces obedience, James is going to show us later in this chapter that obedience will actually produce affirmation and it'll bring peace to your soul. Obedience brings peace more than anything. I mean, when you, when you begin to be obedient, it calms your soul because you know you did what was right. And James starts with that. Okay, let me give you the second half of verse one. You're like, y'all, he's never gonna get through five chapters. Stay with me. He says, writing to the 12 tribes scattered to kingdom come, hello. Jesus died, was resurrected, and James mentions the 12 tribes of Israel. So what this helps us understand is that we do not believe in replacement theology. The, the new covenant of Jesus Christ did not replace Israel. It grafted all of us into it. So I need you to understand that. And that's why James, see, even James just wrote one, one sentence and the dude's already spitting bars. So this is what he said, writing to the 12 tribes scattered to the kingdom come, hello. So here's what it means. If you splice a branch and you notch into it, then you rip off a branch from another species of tree. You can put it into that, that splice section and tape it up and come in and it will grow together. Two different species will grow together. That's what grafting in means. There's Jews and Gentiles and God's plan was for Israel. But then when Jesus died and was resurrected, he made a way that we all, the Gentiles, could be grafted in. So when he was saying to the 12 scattered tribes, we got some tribes of Israel scattered right now in, in New York City, in Miami, on Long Island. We, we're all scattered. And, and amongst those tribes were a division of work. So one tribe were called the Levites. And the Levites, the Levitical order, was coming into the temple and caring for everything. You, you know, um, the Perez family is a Levitical family. Ed, Edwin and Jocelyn Perez are Levites. They're supposed to be in the temple working and doing Chase and Haley Fleeman are, are, are Levites. They're supposed, but that's only one out of 12 tribes. Can we stop this stupidity of everyone trying to be a Levite? We don't need more full-time ministry people. We need entrepreneurs from that tribe. We need to have a building 
billionaires club here in, in our V1 church. We, we need people, we need, we need people to win in sports and, and, and entertainment and that influence realm and to say, I'm not gonna absorb glory, I'm gonna deflect it back to Jesus and I'm gonna use my name being known to make his name be known. Not everybody should be on the church salary, but everybody should be building the house of God. So even when he, he mentions the 12 tribes being scattered, what he's saying is there were 12 different roles and divisions of roles amongst the people of Israel. And in the same way, this new church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, we represent the divisions of responsibility. And so not all y'all are supposed to be Levites. Matter of fact, we need teachers and secular education systems being a light that shines in darkness. We need men that are working with their hands and going out into the world saying all hail King Jesus as they're in factories and carpentry. And we need police officers, you know, that say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here to serve and protect, but I, I'm doing this through the gospel and I'm here. We need people in every faction of society. That's how, you know, actually the yeast in the bread gets distributed and it causes the whole bread to rise. And then that, you know, COVID, was a virus and it was tra transmissible and we would have, they would tell us wear a mask and all this stuff because they understood how easy it is to infect somebody else. I want V1 Church to be like a virus where we go into our school and Gen Z is racked with identity issues and their sexuality and depression and suicide, but just one V1 youth in that high school is just like, you know, they call them, what do they call them? Patient zero. How many patient zeros can we get into every aspect of society. Just one V1 youth comes in there and they're so contagious with the anointing of the living God that they can turn that whole thing upside down for the kingdom. We should be walking around dangerous. Like I am a living embodiment of a virus called the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Don't you dare get close to me because you're going to get infected. I want to be walking around like that. You better watch out talking that close to me because the anointing of God's going to hit you and break a yoke off of you and a bondage is going to come off and chains are going to start to break. You better watch out talking to me that close. You might catch a healing. <laughs> oh, I feel this. I can't wait to meet James in heaven. I say, James, I love scream preaching your stuff. All that was the first scripture. Can you imagine what happens in my mind while I'm reading the Bible? If you guys put a camera on me, I'm, I'm sitting there, like, you know, I mean, I'm reading the Bible. It's like a 3D experience to me. See, when you're spiritually dead, you'll read the Bible like a book. When you're spiritually alive, you realize that book is now reading you. It should be an experience like, oh, I get bored reading the Bible. Well, then you must be spiritually dead. Because when I read the Bible, it's life, it's breath, it's imparted from heaven. So I believe that we're gonna experience a Bible revival. I see young people with their Bibles open. I see married couples saying, let's see what the word says. I'm gonna stop trying to win an argument against my wife and let's, let, let's bring in the mediator. What's the word say? I see Bibles open across America. You know, back in the day with Ghostbusters, they would put that trap out and it would suck all the ghosts into that trap. You put that Bible out in the middle of your living room and see what kind of spirits it begins to deal with, what kinds of things it starts to change out of the atmosphere. Come on, Egon. Okay, let's keep going. Consider it a sheer gift. This is verse two. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, 
When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under, pre- under pressure, that's how I read it, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. <laughs> here's, here's the thing about gifts. The thing about gifts is that you give a gift, but then a gift must be received. And to reject the gift is to reject the gift giver. Are you following me? And so many of you are bad at receiving gifts. What this says is, hey, consider it sheer joy when you get a challenge and a difficulty because it is a gift to you. And so what happens is when it doesn't come in the package that we are looking for, we don't get excited. See, like when you're looking under the Christmas tree and you're looking at the shape of the gift and you're, start, you're saying, oh, I think it's what I've been wanting. And some of you, the gift is, it, the Lord gave it to you, but he gave it in a package that didn't look like what you wanted. And so you reject it, not realizing that the contents of it are exactly what he designed and wanted you to have. And so can I just tell you, Stop getting discouraged when you experience challenges and consider it sheer joy when you experience challenges because the challenge is the packaging. Oh, come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? The challenge is the packaging. But when you rip the packaging off and you see the contents of it, it was something that God was gonna get to you, but he couldn't get it to you in any other form. He had to package it in a different... Okay, you're not, you're not understanding. Okay, I wanted a dad growing up so bad. I was in Boy Scouts of America and the, the dads would bring their son and they would make their Pinewood Derby cars together and they would get their badges with their dad and their dad would say they're proud. And I went through all of Boy Scouts without a father. I wanted a dad. I never had a dad. I never got a dad. I got abusive stepdads. That's what I got. But see, I didn't learn until later on in life that the very thing that I was cursing was actually a gift that God was trying to get to me, but he had to put it in a package of fatherlessness. Okay, follow me, follow me. Because see, what would, uh, how did I know how to be for somebody else something unless I was deficient in that thing? How did I know the significance of the need? Had I not been in need, how do, why would you feed somebody unless you've ever been hungry? Why would you encourage somebody else unless you were ever desperately in need of encouragement? It's, it's like you'll break a suicide off of somebody else if you've ever known what it feels like to want to kill yourself. So it was a gift. The Lord said, Mike, I'm trying to give you a global ministry. It's just I packaged it in fatherlessness. And later on in life, they're going to call you Papa Sigs all around the world because you're going to be for them what you never had yourself, just like I was that for you. It it, it didn't come in the package. So consider if I could go back and sit down a young Mike Signorelli and talk to him, I'd say, hey, I got good news and bad news. Let me start with the good news. The good news is a a, a father is never going to show up. Wait, what? That's the good news? What's the bad news? 
The bad news is it's gonna take you too long to realize that's the gift. What gifts is God trying to give you that you're not receiving? <laughs> oh, I'm speaking. This is James. This is James. Did you know every single one of my pastors that were supposed to raise me up, stabbed me in the back, were jealous, lied on me, and was never there to help me? I was saying the other day, I said, man, David only had one Saul. I had four. But sometimes you need a Saul so that you never become a Saul. See, the thing is like, how could I know what to be for other pastors unless I never had it? Because it's in, it's, in that, it's in that wound that God is saying, I'm trying to bring my healing through it, but it's a double portion because that wound's gonna be a scar, but it's going to be the weapon and the tool that comes out of that wound. I feel the anointing. I feel the power. Somebody's getting it in the spirit right now. Oh, I wish that a husband could show up and help you, but you would never know him as your provider. I wish that it could all work out easy, but that would have made you soft and your destiny's not to be soft. Your destiny is to be a warrior. And the only way is the way through, not around. There's only, so consider, so what happens when you reach maturity is you start celebrating. That's how you know you're around a mature Christian is when God brings the gifts, the whole world's watching and says, this is poverty. No, no, it's wrapped in poverty. <laughs> He's, this is poverty. No, no, it's wrapped in poverty. There's actually wealth. Oh, I feel the anointing so strong. There's actually wealth in there. But I got to start them from the bottom so they remember. I got to start them from the bottom so that they always know who their provider was. I got to start. I had to start you from the bottom so that when I took you here, you would know who took you there. Come on. It was just packaged in poverty. It was just, turn my mic up. It was just packaged in poverty. I remember my wife used to tell, when I was Poe married, my wife used to sit, tell her friends, why are you with Mike? He's such a loser. And she would say, he is a millionaire and you'll see it happen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we're living it now. How you like me now? How you like me now? It was just packaged in poverty. It was just packaged in fatherlessness. It was just packaged, come on. And while the world is saying, why are they celebrating? It's because through faith, we see through the packaging. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. You see what it's wrapped in. I see, I got x-ray vision. I see a best-selling book in that pain. I see a best-selling book in that pain. I see a conference in that pain. I see, oh, come on, somebody. I'm gonna preach myself to the next level today. You, I see by I see into that packaging. See what you said was rejection. I see it as a testimony in the making. I see it. Oh, come on! You, someone's like, how do you preach good sermons every day? Okay, for every time I, I experience pain. Oh, thank you for another sermon. Ah, oh, that one was going to be good in a year. Ah, oh man, that's going to preach real good next year. Ah, oh man, that one's going to be the best sermon I've ever preached. About. Ah, woo, I'm going to preach that one three years from now. When I get a lot, little bit of authority in that one, it's going to sound real good. 
I've learned how to rejoice because in every single problem, there is an opportunity from God. You know what makes people wealthy? is when they take everything that people are complaining about and they monetize the solution. And so while they feel good about getting out their critique, this person says, I get my satisfaction from solving the problem. And so what makes people wealthy is fixing the problems everybody else complains about. This is what the Lord's trying to help you with. (sighs) Okay, this is, where where are we, two verses in? (laughs) Gifts must be received. God's mechanism to debut the true you is pressure. See, what happens is when you have a toothpaste tube, you reveal the contents of what's inside by squeezing it. The only way the world will know who you really are is if you're squeezed. It's the only way. So God's plan for your promotion is not becoming best friends with with famous people. Your God's plan for your promotion is not you get one chance to get on stage and give a sermon. It's not that you go viral on TikTok. God's plan for your promotion is to squeeze you with pressure because what's on the inside of you is revealed. I mean, that, that's it. And I want you to get this revelation. I was thinking about Moses. Moses had the Red Sea in front of him. He had Pharaoh and his armies behind him and he had the children of Israel beside him. There was pressure on every side. In front of him was an impossible obstacle. Behind him was, man, I just feel the anointing. I feel like I could cry. I'm trying, I can't even hardly get this sermon out. This this is changing somebody. I feel it. I'm dealing in destinies right now. I can tell. Behind him is Pharaoh. It's his past, chasing them down. They're literally getting closer and closer, closing in on him. And then beside him is, is, here, hold off the team. Don't let the worship team up. It's gonna break my flow. Can I keep preaching? Okay, yeah, hold off. We don't need emotional music. Our emotions is how we got in this problem. So we got the Red Sea in front of us, and we got Pharaoh and his armies beside us, and we got Israel, or Israel beside us and, and Egypt be, behind us. What does that mean? It's the opinions of their friends. It's listening to the people around them. It's seeing what's in front of them, the fut- fear of the future, and it's being taunted and terrorized by the past. But see, it took that. See, this is what I need you to understand. This might have been a revelation you never heard in your life. You remove one of the variables and you remove pressure from one side of Moses and the water never parts. The water parted because there was pressure on every side. See, you have to be completely surrounded by pressure. That produces the supernatural. See, when there's many routes, there's no route. But when there's only one route, that's the only one that'll work. See, there's something about faith. Faith is not the abundance of options. It's when it's the only option. God, if you don't heal me, I'm dying. God, if you don't make this happen, it's not happening. See, people ask me all the time, why do miracles happen in Ukraine and they don't happen here? I'll tell you why. It has nothing to do with geography. It has everything to do with desperation. When I go to those hospitals in Ukraine and they have no medicine and they're on a drip saline IV, those people say, if you don't heal me, preacher, then I'm going to die. And I said, well, I got better news for you. I've never healed anybody, but Jesus is going to do this thing. And their faith begins to do something. So Moses is surrounded, but he had to be surrounded on every side because that meant the only thing left is it has to part. He took his rod 
and he struck that water and see what happened was what was inside of Moses came out. He might, my, 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 might have been, been, been slow to speak in front of Pharaoh, but when the pressure was around him on every side, boldness. See, there's something. <laughs> you don't know who you are until a tragedy strikes. You don't know who you are until something happens that forces. See, sometimes anxiety is a luxury. Did you hear what I just said? Sometimes anxiety is a luxury. When you're chased by a lion in the real world, you got one option, run or be eaten. You, you can't deal with what's in your mind. You got to move. And sometimes God will say, they're getting too much in their head. Let me flush them out of that place of anxiety. Let me bring them into the next era. And he often uses our enemy. And that's why you'll start to celebrate because you'll realize what God is doing right now by his sovereign. He's not doing this to kill me. He's not evil. He's allowing it though, because he's going to move my position. The only way you get a stuttering, stammering, timid Moses out of Pharaoh those cords is those plagues were not for Egypt. Those plagues were for Moses. Do you understand what I just said? Those plagues were for Israel. Some of y'all been preached the wrong way your whole life. You don't even understand the character of God. Those plagues were to remind Israel that when you are in the wrong company, in the wrong position, you will encounter the same curse that's coming upon the wicked. So you got to get out of there, man. You got to separate yourself. If you're occupying the same space as the wicked, you're going to get the same consequences. Israel didn't like the frogs either. That's what it's like for some of you V1 youth to be dating the wrong person. That's why it says, don't be unequally yoked. Because it's hard for frogs to come down in Egypt and them not end up in your house too. Y'all aren't ready for this. You're not ready for this. You're not ready for this. That's why people have to move churches sometimes. So what God is doing is he, the pressure comes from every side, but the pressure flushes out. The pressure actually reveals who you are. Michael Jordan with the flu. Legendary sports players. I mean, it's when they're under pressure. I remember um, I, was in I had classes at Indiana University with Jared Jeffries. Some of you remember that basketball player. He was a friend of mine. And they were positioning him as the next Michael Jordan. There's only one problem. There's one difference between Jared Jeffries and Michael Jordan. It's how they responded to pressure. Jared Jeffries was Michael Jordan until there was pressure. Then he was Jared Jeffries. He actually got brought my friend got uh, actually uh, made the draft went into the NBA and uh, he just fell apart then they ended up uh, actually trading him to be under Michael Jordan's leadership and he still could not click in that's why none of you know who he is isn't that crazy to think about so what got the message that James is trying to bring is that there's something inside of you work on what's inside of you let the Lord draw it out let him, let him go in and mentor and break things off of you and change things in secret. And then when the pressure's on, it'll reveal who you are in public. That's the separator. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. This is verses five through eight. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you're asked for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think that you're going to get anything from the master this way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. Jesus 
won't be your side chick in 2024. I'm advocating on behalf of my master. I'm the slave preaching this sermon today. Jesus is not your side chick. When Israel acted that way, he called them harlots. See, what I'm trying to help you is when Jesus is the only way. When Jesus is all you have, you have everything. Did you hear what I just said? When Jesus is all you have, you have everything. And Jesus plus anything else is still nothing. When you multiply by the valuable or the variable of zero, it equals zero. And so what happens is some of you are talking out of both sides of your mouth, blessing and curses. You come to church and you declare with faith for an hour, but then you leave this place and you complain and murmur the whole rest of the week. And you're saying, God, why is nothing changing? I guess Christianity doesn't work. No, listen, it works, but it doesn't work with mixture. This is not the year of mixture. Salt water and spring water cannot come out of the same fount. There has to be an alignment with your tongue. It's either all blessings or it's all curses. Because when you speak a blessing and a curse out of the same mouth, anything multiplies by zero equals zero. So there's something about God trying to align your mouth. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, this is verse five. You'll get his help when you ask. He will help you. But people who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way. Adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. There are no other options. It's Jesus when I wake up. It's Jesus at lunch. It's Jesus at night. It's Jesus during my, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus until I die. And it's Jesus after I die. And it's Jesus for eternity. It's all Jesus all the time. Uh, What are you thinking about? Jesus, what's on your mind? Jesus, what are you talking about? Oh, you talk about Jesus too much. I can't talk about him too much. That's impossible. It's never enough. All you talk about is Jesus. And that's all I'm gonna talk about. That's all that matters to me is Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It always, those people talking about other stuff are going to be sorely mistaken when they realize the only thing that ever mattered was Jesus. So there's something about this. Get that out of your mouth. It's either life or death, but it can't be both. It's either blessing or curses, but it can't be both. What would change in your life? I'm almost done. What would change in your life? If you aligned your mouth and you said, I am not gonna be like wind-whipped waves going tossed to and fro, I'm gonna be stable now. Because guess what? When you get a revelation of what I'm preaching right now, the economy doesn't have permission to make you unstable unless you grant it. Your friends and family don't have permission to take your peace unless you give it. See, life is, listen to what I'm about to tell you, life is 10% what happened to you and it's 90% how you respond. Because somebody else will be handed all the same cards you hand and win the whole table. Life is 10% what happens to you and it's 90% how you responded. I just gave, I gave you a whole word with that. I gave you a whole word with that. So what God is trying to do in your spirit in this season of your life is he's trying to provoke you to faith to say either you believe it or you don't. And those are dangerous people. 
Oh, they don't, the world doesn't know how to handle people like that that say, I have no plan B. Oh, I'm a dead man walking. Oh, you think I care about your opinion? You're talking about someone who doesn't exist anymore. It's not the I that live, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. You're talking about a dead person. You, you, you can't affect me. Oh, you don't like me? I don't like me. I crucify my flesh every day. Oh, you, you don't think I can do it? I know I can't do it, but greater he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if God be for me, who can be against me? Oh, come on, somebody. Oh, you think I'm dumb? Oh, I know I'm dumb, but it's not gonna be my wisdom. It's gonna be wisdom from heaven. It's not gonna be my knowledge. It's going to be knowledge from heaven. You ain't telling me anything I don't know. It's what I did with what I know. It's what I did with what I know. I recognized one day when I was 17 years old that nobody around me had wisdom. I was, it was like, yeah, I just came to a sudden realization. I, we were hood rats. And we went to church in South Chicago. And I'll never forget, we were in a church service just like this. And I remember looking around, I'm like, Oh, we're all poor. I, for real. It was like I suddenly came out of the matrix. And I was like, I was looking around like, oh, we're all poor. We're all depressed. All of us got to change a tire after service today, don't we? Oh, we all only have one tooth in our head. We're, I'm looking around thinking we're all struggling. I started thinking about my family. See, there's a lid that's over you. And see, what I love about this scripture, and I want to show you this, this is what it says. It says, ask him, and he'll, ask him to give you a gift. Ask him, and he'll give it to you. What, what if I told you, and we're coming to a close here, you guys can come out the band. What if I told you that if you need wisdom, you can ask for heavenly wisdom, and you will get heavenly wisdom? And I'll never forget being in that church service. And I made a joke of it. I'm teasing, you know, just for fun. But when I looked out at the crowd in my local church at 17 years old, I realized there's a lid. There's nobody in this church writing books. There's nobody in this church writing best-selling music. There's no one in this church with entrepreneurship. There's no, I was, I remember looking around and be like, well, wow, we are all in this level of life. And I did one thing and it changed me forever. 17 years old, I said, God, I'm probably just like them. That's why I'm here. But would you give me a gift of wisdom? Because if I have your wisdom, all things are possible. And God, would you give me a gift of knowledge? And see, there's a supernatural knowing. I've been in meetings with presidents and they've been like, how did you know that? You must have read that. I said, no, I was in prayer. The Lord revealed it to me. See, there, there's, something, there's something I'm trying to help you understand. There's a supernatural dimension. And the reason why God gives it is he takes the foolish things of the world and uses it to confound the wise. So Christianity, as you increase in the things of God, you should decrease in pride. Because what happens is you realize, oh, I'm running on grace. I'm running on grace. Nobody I know ever got this far. Never seen a marriage like me and Julie's marriage. Never even seen it. How do you reproduce what you've never seen? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not seen. I never seen a marriage like this, but I'm gonna have it by faith. 
I've never seen finances like that, but it's going to be in alignment by faith. There's something about faith. And James is trying to get this through them. He's saying, stop being like the winds that are tossed to and fro. Stop complaining. Stop talking like Egyptians when God's called you out of that mess. Yeah, there's pressure on every side. How I know that you're maturing is when you start celebrating it. I know that sounds crazy, but what if your first response to hearing some bad news was to celebrate. It's the opposite. But how many of you know you always fight a spirit with an opposite spirit? You don't fight fear with fear. You don't fight discouragement with a discouragement. And I wanna show you this. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Somebody say more life. So there's life and there's more life. And how you get more life is by sticking it out, by enduring it. I, I came here to tell somebody you are not going to give up. I said, you are not, I'm not going to allow you to give up. You are not going to quit. You are not going to back down. There's life and there's more life. The difference between, see, you're sitting next to someone who's alive, but what determines whether or not they have more life is see, everybody here is breathing, but it's what you do with your breath. Everybody here is breathing. What are you doing with your breath? I return it back to God. I take this breath and I turn it into words of faith. I take this breath and I turn it into a rebuke to the devil. I take this breath and sometimes I look in the mirror. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the lowest places of my life and I've looked in the mirror and I've said, you are a man of God. You are gonna lead through this. You are equipped and well able by God. You know, before I ever preached to an audience, I got in that mirror and I begin to preach to myself and see, sometimes God, and you say, I wish somebody would call me. And the Lord says, nobody's going to call you because you got to learn how to speak to yourself. Oh, I wish somebody would DM me. You need to directly message yourself and begin to speak it. You need to switch from a, a direct message to a divine message. You want to DM to divinely message yourself. Get in that mirror and say, I rebuke every spirit of fear. Get up off my mind. I am not going down that way. I am not yielding to temptation. I'm not going down. There's a high price to pay for low living. And devil, that worked on me back in the day, but it don't work on me anymore. Get out of here. Don't, don't you dare even try it. I'm preaching myself silly today. Here's how I want to end it as we come to a close in this chapter. So my dear friends, this is verse 16. Don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us up to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all creatures. How many of you know that when you go, you know, you've had a friend or a family member, they go to vacation, they buy you a gift and they bring it back. You know, I went to Switzerland. I came back with some Swiss chocolate for my family because you know, the chocolate we have here is not like they have in Switzerland. And let me tell you, I was in Indiana recently and I saw a, a place of business and real big, the sign said New York bagels. And I was in Indiana. I said, oh, I need a, a bagel. I went in there, I took one bite of that bagel. I spit that poor piece of cardboard out of my mouth. 
I said, how dare you call this a New York bagel? You liar. You would, you're a deceiver. I live in New York. I know what a New York bagel is, and this is not it. Have you even been to New York? What is your problem? I was disgusted. I felt like, do I need to do deliverance? The spirit of lying up in this place? Call it what it is. It's an Indiana bagel, and y'all don't know what you're doing out there. But the reason why I say that is because New York bagels hit different. Am I right? Y'all can go anywhere you want in the world. It ain't going to taste like New York unless you're in New York. This scripture is saying there are gifts from heaven and only heaven has those gifts. And if you ask for those gifts, it will be given to you. There's a wisdom that only comes from heaven. There's knowledge that only comes from heaven. There's provision that only comes from heaven. And if you ask for it, you'll receive it directly from heaven. We're about to do that in a few moments. It says, post this at the intersection, dear friends. Lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness does not grow from human anger, so throw all the spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let your gardener, who is God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden out of your life. How many of you are gonna make your mind up that this is the year you're not operating in anger? We have, we have, I'm gonna tell you right now, look at the unity of our church across every location. We have a political thing that's getting ready to happen. And you know what they want? They want outrage. When voting starts, they wanna separate us. They wanna separate the races. They want us to all be with our own race. They wanna separate us by gender. And then when they couldn't do that, they made 40 other genders. See, what happens is they need division. The, the antichrist system thrives off of division. Jesus prayed, there's only a one recorded prayer. And as he's praying, he's saying, our Father, he's praying unity, he's praying that we would be one. And so let me just tell you this, I'm trying to get this through to you, is that God is trying to stop us from constantly being outraged. You know what the root of outrage is? Rage. Stop falling for it. Stop giving the world permission to make you mad. How many, if you deleted all your social media, you would realize how mad you're getting over nothing. They need us to get mad at each other and mad at stuff that doesn't matter. So we're not doing it. We're exempt. I'm exempt. I don't have to play that game. Amen. Would you all stand on your feet with me? Verse 25 says, but whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in their action. You know, the early church in Jerusalem was filled with distractions. Many of you think we're distracted just because we have cell phones in modern society. It only enhanced what's already there. But we've always been distracted. And what he said was action is the solution from distraction. So many of you have been like so just scatterbrained, but the Lord wants to focus you. And I wanna end this service on the solution. I've read the book of James many times. We just finished up with chapter one. I'm making my notes available so you can read in depth my commentary for every single scripture. I got to maybe half of what's even in there right now when you go home later. But as I was studying church history, I wanted to know about James, the, the brother of Jesus, the biological brother, the stepbrother of Jesus. And I found out that the early church had a nickname for James. 
and they would all call him this. And it was handed down through the generations. And I think it's one of the greatest compliments that you can ever get. His nickname was Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. Let me explain. Chris is playing the guitar and get a shot on that. Any guitar player in the room knows what I'm talking about. The more you do this, you begin to build up a callus on your fingers. And so even if many of you were able to come and put your hand in that position, most of you could do this position with your hands, but you wouldn't be able to keep it in that position long. Why? Because you haven't built up the calluses. So every guitar player, they build up a pad of calluses on their hand. And what happens is that enables them to keep their fingers in the positions longer to make music. Something beautiful comes out. And I wept when I, when I got this revelation studying the early church history, is that James, the brother of Jesus, spent so much time praying on his knees that he developed calluses on his knees. And they would look at his knees and there was like, they would tell each other, oh yeah, James, the brother of Jesus, he prays on his knees so much he has calluses. And then they gave him the nickname, Old Camel Knees, because he had calluses on his knees. So I wanna tell you, Jesus prayed every single day. We're gonna end and we're gonna do something together that I'm gonna show you the video next week. I'm gonna be putting it on social, but there was a woman in Miami and this is before we launched our Miami campus. And this precious woman had one vision for her life, that her arthritic pain, pain ridden knees would be healed and that the inflammation would go down just so that she could get down on her knees and worship God. And we were there in, in a meeting together, just like we are now. And I began to pray for supernatural healing over knees. As soon as I said that, the swelling immediately went down, the pain left. And I said, did anyone get healed? And she began to wave her hands and say, I got healed. And she came up and I said, well, tell me. And she started to cry and she said, Pastor Mike, my only vision is that my knees would be healed so that I could go down on my knees and worship the King. So we got it on video the very first moment in years and years and years. And the woman goes down on her knees and begins to worship. It was one of the holiest moments. And then everybody else in unison went down on their knees and the whole place was down on their knees just, and she literally was before the Lord like this. We're gonna show you the footage of it. Why do I say that? Pastor Mike, what is the action that I can change in this year that will change everything? It's time for you to become old camel knees. It's time for you to develop calluses on your knees. Why? Because the way up is down. You wanna increase in finances? Increase in generosity and giving. You wanna increase in influence? Increasing in making Jesus' name known. Whatever God increases, you have to run in the other direction so it doesn't poison you, so it doesn't change you. The more God gives you, the more you gotta become like a river to give it away. And so the question isn't, can God give me a million dollars? It's how much of that can you give away? It doesn't come to you, it comes through you. Pastor Mike, why do so many people know you? Because I'm making him known. If Christ be lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Don't get it, mis don't get it flipped. It's not about me, it's about him. Don't get it flipped, it's not about you, it's about him. And so any area that you're asking God to increase, you have to run in the opposite direction. That's how you keep it flowing. So you wanna go higher, go lower. You wanna know my proof for that? Jesus died. He went all the way to hell. 
when he resurrected, he went all the way to heaven. <laughs> how low can you go determines how high you can go. Oh, I feel the holiness of God. You know what? I've taken my kids to theme parks. I've taken my kids to water parks, to the beach, vacations. But I don't want my kids to remember how their dad took them to a beach or a theme park. I want them to remember when I took them into the presence of Jehovah. Because see, there's too many people trying to get out, trying to get away when they need to learn how to get in. Because for me, I've had nothing and I've had everything, but when I've learned to get into his presence, it's a million vacations. It's a million vacations. Oh, I get lost in his presence. Oh, I hear the sound of moving waters. Oh, I hear the sound all around me. The atmosphere begins to change. If you've never been, that's how I know somebody's religious because they don't know what I'm talking about. See, when, when people smoke, they take their breath and they turn it into the smoke that's nicotine and THC. See, what happens is God wants us to take our breath and turn it into incense that our words begin to flow out of us and a plume of incense begins to come out of us. Do you know the purpose of incense in the old covenant, what it was? Have you guys ever been to a Catholic church and you see them doing the incense like this and the smoke is coming out of the incense? Do you wanna know what the purpose of that was? The purpose of that in the old covenant was that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, they would begin to light the incense and as the atmosphere would fill with the smoke, it would become a visible barrier to the presence of God. And it was the very thing that enabled God's presence to manifest in their midst. So the more incense, it was creating a barrier that you could stand in the glory. So what needs to be, ooh, I feel the atmosphere changing. So we need to, I don't, we need to learn how to bring incense out of our lungs and fill the atmospheres because in the presence of the Lord begins to flood, begins to saturate, begins to permeate. It just, your living room, your bathroom, your hallways, it just begins to permeate. It begins to permeate and there's no mistaking it. You know, there's been times where I, I don't even know why I feel led to say this. I know we've gone over time. Is this all right? But there's been times where I've been afraid to breathe where his presence is so strong. There's been times where I've been afraid to open my eyes. There's been times where it's just intoxicating, it's suffocating in a good way, where I just feel it closing in on me. I don't wanna be anywhere else. He begins to heal, he begins to restore. I begin to delight myself in him. It, it, there's just something about, and as I continue to worship, and I can tell when people have not gone to that place because those people want to be bloggers and YouTubers and Instagrammers. And they're concerned about the pride of knowledge. They want to be talking and talking. I don't want to talk. I want to worship. I want to pray. I want to get into the presence. I want to attract the aroma. You leave out food, you're going to get insects. You're gonna, you see, there's something about the atmosphere that attracts. You leave out food in your house, you're going to get bugs. You're going to get rodents. When you keep dispensing praise, worship, and prayer, the presence of God is attracted to that. It's like it just starts coming into the atmosphere. It just starts slipping into the atmosphere. 
So what we're gonna do across every location is just take like literally two minutes as an exercise because I've been trying to teach you guys how to take action is we are all going to actually get down on our knees at every campus in a few moments and I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and we're gonna do like James. Now, for those of you who are believing for a healing in your knees, you may have to sit on your seat and just believe for a healing. We may get testimonies of supernatural healings today, but what we're gonna do is we're all gonna go down our knees. If you can't physically do that, that's okay. Accommodate it however you can. But I wanna ask, now, if you went to the Catholic church, you would be getting down on your knees at least one time because you know this is normal in most churches. But unfortunately, we've created churches in America, Christian churches, where we never go to our knees. And I felt like the Lord told me it's time to teach people how to surrender. It's time to teach a generation how to go down on their knees before the Lord. Listen to me, young man. You will stand tallest from your knees. You will stand the tallest from your knees. When you don't know what to do, you go in that place of prayer. That's, that's your legacy. If your family doesn't know what it sounds like to hear you pray, you're not praying enough. They should be able to hear you. Let them hear you. Because if they can hear you, heaven probably hears you too. Let them hear you. Open up your windows. They heard Daniel. Let them hear you too. Let them hear you too. Come on, they, can, you, they, they play their stupid music as loud as they want. Let's put our worship music as loud as we want. Come on, let them hear us too. Unashamed. I'll never forget my mom, you know, um, there was a time where she was healing from tumors and cysts and this big surgery that she had, a hysterectomy and, and, and all this. And I remember that they had open campus lunch at my high school and we lived across the street from the school and my mom was healing. So she was at home in that time and she would leave the windows open and I would, and my mom, and I don't know why she timed it up every day to when lunch let out and I would walk. And I remember walking on the other side of the street so my friends wouldn't hear my crazy Pentecostal mom rain and down hellfire in that, uh, I mean, praying real loud, praying real loud. And I remember they'd be like, hey, bro, do, we, do you want to go to your house for lunch? I'm like, no, because we're going to end up fasting and getting demons cast out of us. We're not going to my house for lunch. And they're like, why don't we walk on that side? I'm like, no, it's cool. We'll stay here. And I was embarrassed of how loud my mom prayed. Now that I am the age that my mom was when she was praying that loud, I get it because sometimes that's the only way you don't give up. Sometimes that's the only way that you don't quit. And that loud prayers produce a, 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 box, a box a blockbuster movie. Those prayers produce a multi-site national church. Those prayers, there is fruit from those prayers. So let's dial it up. Would you all just... I don't want V1 Church to be known for the best preaching. I don't want V1 Church to be known for the, the best singing. I don't want V1 Church to be known for the best production. I want V1 Church to be known as a house of prayer. I want us to be known by our humility that a whole multi-site national church would go down on their knees before the king. Some of you, as soon as your knees hit the ground, breakthrough happened. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
will turn from their wicked ways, will call out to heaven, I will hear them and I will heal their land. This is how you heal New York City. They think it's protesting. It's about what they can burn down. But for us, it's about how low we can go. It's about getting down on our knees. The meek shall inherit the earth. Something holy is happening right now. Somebody, somebody's husband just went down on their knees and a wife's been praying for this moment. Father, I pray right now for every person's physical needs that need to be healed, that you would heal them right now in the name of Jesus. That we would have knees being healed all over America and all over the world right now. Church, we're about to pray together. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer in a few moments, but I just wanna pray right now that God would place a diligence and a faithfulness and a consistency in you like never before. The Lord showed me a vision. At work, they take smoke breaks. The Lord wants you to take prayer breaks. Go in that bathroom, go up in that stall, and you begin to pray. If they can, they, if they can take a smoke break, you can take a prayer break. Begin to pray. Gen Z, go into your school. Make sure you take a prayer break. God's releasing you into a time of prayer. Some of you said, I feel like moving so bad. The Lord says, don't change your address. Change your position. Get down on your knees. I'll give you a vacation. Come on, the glory of the Lord is starting to fill the place right now. Many of you are experiencing his glory. You're, you're undefeated from this place. Undefeated. Every battle can be won in this posture. When you don't know what to do, right now you just go down to your knees and begin to pray. When you don't have the answers, you begin to pray. You begin to celebrate. God knows you don't know how to do it. God knows you don't understand. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's always, always been working it out for your good. Just surrender. Stay in this place of surrenderedness. This should be your goal for 2024 is to stay surrendered. I don't know who that is for, but you might even need to put that on your mirror. Put it on post-it. Stay surrendered. Stay surrendered. All right, I want everybody across every campus to repeat after me. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I choose to submit and surrender to your will and your ways. I've known you as Father, but now I wanna know you as master. I choose to be obedient. I choose to speak blessing and not curses, to speak life and not death. I choose to see by faith, no matter what the packaging, I will praise, I will celebrate because I know that you've already worked it out in my favor. I dedicate this year, my life, my family, the work of my hands, my finances, all to you. I give up control. Come on, let that settle in your belly. I give up control. I give up control, God. Somebody's being free from anxiety right now. I give up control. I give up control. 
I give up control. I give it up, God, to you. That's a form of worship. I give up control. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take the next 30 seconds or more, and I want you with your own words. For some of you, this is new. That's okay. It's just like playing the guitar for the first time. You haven't built your calluses up yet. But I want you to just begin to just praise him. Just take the next 30 to 60 seconds. Just praise him. Just worship him. Use your own words. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him you're sorry if you need to make it right with him. Whatever that is, just take some time. Forgive your brother. Forgive your spouse. Release them. I see a vision while you guys are praying. I see a vision of fresh water being poured into your belly. And as fresh water is being poured in your belly, that stagnant water is being exchanged for fresh water. New thoughts, new ideas, fresh living waters. Come on, let's take 30 more seconds. Father, I thank you. I thank you in advance. No matter what happens this year, we know that you're in control. No matter what happens, we know that you have our best interest at hand. God, we thank you. Wow. Come on, do you hear the sound of people praying around you? Come on, do you hear the sound of angels' wings? Some of you forgot that when you open a heaven above you right now, it's the sound of angels' wings. There's more for you than against you. There's more for you. I don't know who needs to hear that. There are more for you than against you. Even the angels of heaven on assignment to help you fulfill your purpose. Come on, let's take just a few more moments and then we're all gonna stand to our feet. Okay, across every location, would you all just stand to your feet with me? How many of you feel better? How many of you feel like there was just a breakthrough in that moment? You feel something begin to, to, to be rearranged. Something be, began to shift. It's amazing to me that in this generation, we'll try a pill before we try prayer. It's amazing. We'll run to the doctor and get prescribed a pill, but never try prayer. This is the year. This is the year we say, well, let's try prayer first. Let's, let's try prayer. Let's, let's become old camel knees. Let's get those calluses on our knees. That's the nickname. That's the reputation I want to have. Let me pray for you. And then we're going to have a word across every location from our campus pastors real quick. Father, I thank you for each and every one of us here as we complete the first chapter of the book of James that we're going to go through each chapter to chapter five and we are going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that you're going to wash us by your word. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, that even as we leave this place, we're going to build these altars. We're going to build an altar in our job, build an altar in our car, build an altar in our home. Build your altar.
build, that's your legacy. Build altars everywhere you go. You build an altar here, then you build an altar there. Everywhere you go, there's little altars that you built before the Lord. We're gonna build our altars in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, go ahead, take your... 